Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Hello, my friends. Here we are. Here we be making another podcast. How are you today? I'm delectable. Thank you for asking. Emily? I'm peachy. Peachy. I did my best Emily impression for the intro. Did you like it? I did think it sounded like Emily. I feel like you could have done better. The the lilt is, hello, my friends. Yeah. That's the main thing, honestly. I don't know. I feel like I also do like, hello, hello, hello. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's also a, a, there's like a certain timber in a pastoral voice too that is, there is it's hard to yeah. capture. Okay, well, especially when you're a man <laughs> trying to mimic a woman. Wasn't <laughs> just stating facts. I'm asking for so much critique, but uh, I this guess podcast I, has not to date passed the Bechtel test. I, Fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. We did a bonus episode with Stacey Frenis where I wasn't there and Stacey and Emily were. Count? Uh, count? Okay. Count? That might count, actually. I'd have to re-listen. Episode, but great episode, by the way. If you haven't listened to that one already. Episode 91X. One of our few episodes where we have done a guest for a special occasion. Yeah. Fantastic. And it was a great episode. Yeah, it was fun. You should check out our book. All right. Well, as long as we're in the mode, I will hear about your drinks in a second. I have not forgotten. But I have to ask you guys for a quick bit of advice. Um here's the situation you're out you're on the street you're walking your dog your dog poops as dogs are wont to do on walks you know you pick it up with a bag like a good citizen immediately you make a show of putting the bag on your hand like a glove so that the people who are in the house that you're standing right in front of know you're picking it up right but then out of their sight line they have left their trash can on the street did I do the wrong thing by putting the dog poop in their trash can as I passed it? No, because it's technically, if it's on the street, like... It's the city's, right? Their, then it's, yeah, it's not their property it's anymore. It's the city's property. Either way... They have gifted it to the city. I have gifted, yes, I have gifted the dog poop to the city. Wait, is that what you mean? Or you mean that <laughs> they put the can on the street? If they put the can on the street, it is not their property. Okay. And then when it's back on their property, it is theirs. That's how police can do like searches like in trash cans because it's public. Whoa. Oh, uh, the police chaplain that, would know that. I did not expect an actual legal answer here. Yeah. I'm a chaplain. What did you expect? Yeah, I, I, I should have expected more. Honestly, I feel like it's a little weirder when it's dog poop. Like what happens if you open the can and it's empty? So what? It's trash. Yeah, but then it's about to go back onto their property for a week. I mean, yeah, but they're going to be just accumulating trash anyways. Yeah, but now there's poop. 
do they i feel like it's i feel like it's different if it's empty i if it's recycling i think it's fair game all the time if it's potentially smelly trash i would only do it if the trash can is full okay it was half full i will say that oh that counts okay it wasn't completely empty i usually usually check for that uh because I would also feel weird, you know, if you throw it in there on a Friday night and Thursday morning is the trash pickup and they just haven't had the time to, like, pull it back to their garage, you know? That I understand. I try to be mindful of that. But I've heard different takes on that. So I thank you for providing me counsel, including legal counsel. You're welcome. Though we should probably say this podcast is, does not count for legal advice. Please see, seek the advice of a lawyer and or a doctor <laughs> with whatever problems you have. Um, <laughs> or you're a veterinarian. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, yep. So on that weird anyway. note, uh, what what are you drinking today? You know, I'm finishing off. Oh, please, oh, Emily. After oh, you. Oh, don't don't you, let me speak for the women in this podcast. After you. <laughs> well, wow. I just realized I like hardly ever go first. It's true. Unless it's. Um, but it is 98 degrees currently, uh-huh. and it's 7:29 p.m. Mountain Standard Time to put that in perspective, and it's 98 degrees. And so I needed something to cool off. So I got a giant cup of iced green tea and I've added coconut and vanilla to it. And it is fantastic. And a big bottle of water because hydrate or dehydrate. Lovely. Josh? I'm finishing off a McDonald's Coca-Cola, which does (gasps) taste better, partly because of the straw. I will admit I'm feeling kind of drowsy in the evening i usually don't do for a later caffeine but uh i am and then i'm also drinking a i made like a little drinky drink with a trader joe's sparkling white tea with pomegranate juice added in which on its own this is my first time trying it it was good but then i added some gin and some dashes of just classic aromatic bitters and man it is so good like that's like bar level quality it's like really good together it's very floral and like mm, delicious can we can we go back to the mcdonald's beverage what is it about the straw that makes it better question mark oh it's because it's a wide straw a science yeah there's like weird beverage science out there we're just gonna mansplain science real quick yeah that's a thing It, it it does i believe have something to do with the way mcdonald's soda machines carbonate as well there's something different about it that's why okay. mcdonald's sprite is so spicy <laughs> mm, you know what valid. i mean valid okay it hits different sure no i get that okay that but it, it is an engineered experience like that is actual it is yeah. yeah yeah they do it on purpose okay. for sure um I, good to know i learned something new the more you know i you learn about the trash you learn about the drinks yeah, exactly <laughs> it's a trade a full service experience here on Ravel today. Um, I am enjoying a room temp hibiscus LaCroix. Mm. I'm really going for room temp lately on LaCroix, you guys. It's real nice. Real nice. It is. Yeah. One step closer to soup. So this week we have a voicemail from one of our listeners. Gotcha. Uh, we, our good friend... <laughs> For those of you new to the pod, uh, for the while, for a long while, I've been a strong advocate for lukewarm soup so much that I finally found a way to change my Twitter name into something I love, into Josh Lukewarm Soup Allen. <laughs> and I'm like, not joking. We wish we were. But. Like, I'm completely serious. I wish I was joking. Oh, 
goodness. It's very good. Yeah, but his 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 take forever ago, back when Twitter was Twitter, was in reaction to mine because I said hot take soups can only be hot and cold soups are categorically wrong. Like gazpacho, no, not a soup. Soup is hot. And I said soup is best hot. And he said it's best lukewarm. So room temp LaCroix, I see, <laughs> I see where you got there. Well, speaking of hot takes, we have a voicemail from one of our dear listeners. Uh, uh, take Mr. two of the intro. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Mr. Alex Falcongrove himself, one of our dear friends and listeners. Guess who's back? He's, he's back with a message and a bit of a critique and then a prompt for our discussion. Take it away, Alex. Good morning, my loves. This is Alex again. Uh, I'm going to have to call Emily out. I just listened to this morning's episode, and there have been too many instances at this point where Emily says something to the effect of, I don't know because I'm not God. And my response is always something just like, sure, okay. <laughs> uh, there are many things the earlier human, oh, and forgive me, I, you know, I typed this all out, so I'm reading from a script at this point. There are many things that earlier humans could have said that about, but now we have substantial explanations for. For example, weather patterns, oxygen theory, the development of life on Earth, dispensationalism, atonement theory, and pretty much any topic on Ravel. <laughs> Most of the modern world exists in the paradigm of the scientific revolution and the Enlightenment, and I would argue that all of you are in this boat and believe that humanity can know things through the rigor of reason and logic. Even the act of studying and earning an MDiv presupposes that knowledge of God can and should be pursued and attained. So while there is humility in admitting we do not know things, to me, these answers ultimately feel like a cop-out and a logical fallacy. Sorry, Emily. <laughs> uh, this might be a rehash of process theology, but my questions are, are there limits to human knowledge? And if so, what are they? And what aren't they? And why? From prehistoric humans to Babylon to Nicaea to the USA, how has humanity's knowledge of the world and God changed, if at all? And finally, in this context, what does it mean for our first sin to be eating the fruit of knowledge? <sighs> Enjoy. Bye-bye. Well. <laughs> Whoa. For context, because uh, Alex did not mention the episode he was responding to, he said this week's episode. This is actually, this is coming out of responding to 150 Trinity paradox bullshit or some secret third thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Emily, I feel like okay. we should give you the opportunity to speak first. Do, do you have any thoughts? Oh, do I? Um, <laughs> first off, get him. Thank you for calling me out. I first off, how you feel is valid, and I'm not going to negate that. So, what I will say is, I still stand by my idea of I'm not God, so I don't know everything because I am human and I have limitations as a human. There are clearly things that I do not know that. Like today, I literally just learned about the engineering of straws and how they enhance or change the flavors of beverages, for God's sakes. Like, I don't know everything, and I don't know any human who knows everything. Therefore, 
what I am well versed in being theology and having a degree in divinity, that is a topic that we are still wrestling with. I don't know any theologian who is a 100% expert on God. They are only the expert on elements of theology, but not God entirely. And I think the same could be said for physicists and for doctors. I don't know any doctor or medical personnel who understands the entirety of the human body perfectly. We still don't even know what the appendix does. Like it's there. Wait, no, I think we do know what the appendix does. Not fully. No. Oh, okay. Because we can function without it. That is true. Same with tonsils. You know, I will say in your defense, not that you need me to defend you. That's not what I'm saying. I've always gotten the sense that when you've said that, it's sounded more to me like a misnomer isn't quite the right word, but that's what comes to mind. More of like a side mention, like almost more similar to like a joke than like saying that you can't know something in like a God of the gap sense. And the sense that I got from Alex's critique was, I think that some people do use that language in a more of like a God of the gap sense, but Mm -hmm. I don't think you do that actually. I think that... I certainly hope not. I mean, maybe you have sometimes, but like I've every time you've brought it... Because I do remember you saying that in the Trinity episode. I don't remember what it was to, but like I've always felt like you've said it more in a like, how could I know that kind of thing? Or like there's room for growth. I don't know. Stephen. But I mean, I suppose it is up to the interpreter too. What are your thoughts, Stephen? Who? What are my thoughts? I feel like we're already <laughs> barreling heads first into Alex's first like actual question, which are, are That's there okay. limits to human knowledge? And if so, what are they? Or what aren't they and why? Mm. Um, yeah, I think with the Trinity episode in particular, I think it like inside that context, like to me, especially in inside Trinity, not to rehash that episode entirely, but I think the concept of Trinity is so weird and out there. And at one point it feels invented by humans. And that's kind of my argument for what the Trinity is actually mm-hmm. see that episode. And we, you know, we don't need to rehash that, but in, in within Trinity, I think it's, it's particularly puzzling or it can feel not like a dead end. And I really don't like Emily. I hope you feel good and safe. Like oh, I like, yeah, <laughs> I, he cannot shake me. <laughs> Take that Alex. <laughs> no one can shake me. I can always learn, but yeah, no. sorry. I, you didn't hurt my feelings. <laughs> I, I can, I can hear how that would, feel like a well i don't i don't know what to do with like talking about this anymore if someone invokes like i'm not god who am i to say or like mm-hmm. i can't understand it right it does feel and i guess to echo josh i will say like i don't get the sense that you necessarily do that just to shut down a conversation at all mm-hmm. and just like alex said like acknowledging like the reality of humility in such a confusing conversation like trinity also valid that doesn't mean that Christians haven't been known to just do that to get out of uncomfortable sure. corners when their apologetics fall short. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is like the num. but that's probably the most common phrase 
that is used when people feel they have a shortcoming in theological understanding, especially when they're engaging with someone who is more well-versed, you know? You know what I just realized? And I maybe this is not going to sound as profound when I say it out loud, but I just had this conscious thought for the first time. When people, when Christians especially, are trying to, oh my gosh, you know that feeling when you have a thought for the first time and you're like, this is amazing. <laughs> and then you're like, trying to say it out loud and you're like, what am I even saying? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome okay, to yes. mom brain. So, oh, <laughs> I believe it. Um, so my thought is basically like along the lines of uncertainty and how like some Christians totally go the route of, well, the Bible says it, I believe it. And like using that uncertainty is like meant to be like a measure of faith as if like mm-hmm. they're like proud in their uncertainty. And that's like a, that shows how faithful they are, mm-hmm. that they know that mm-hmm. they don't know and that only God can Accepted know. Accepted on faith, settled. Right. Move on. Yeah. Yeah. But as soon as that uncertainty is leaning towards doubt, then all of a sudden it's a bad thing. Oh. Ooh, right. And I'm not quite sure like exactly how to word that tension there because I'm not, I'm not certain there's like a precipice where like that changes. Oh, I think there is. Oh, you think there is? What would you say it is? A spiritual crisis. Oh, sure. Yeah. And it can be of any magnitude. It's whatever an individual would deem to be a spiritual crisis. Like, I can't dictate that for someone because what I believe to be life-giving is not life-giving for others. So the same would apply for spiritual crisis. What I believe to be a spiritual crisis, someone else would say maybe, ah, that's like a walk in the park. Or someone else would maybe agree, but Mm. take it to the other extreme and say, oh, that is totally deafening and horrendous beyond measure, you know? So we really, we can't know. And I think the same applies for obtaining knowledge. I believe it is not just a universal experience. I believe it is very much individual. Can you say more? I believe knowledge is readily available and infinite. However, it is an individual who either decides to engage with that unknown and wanting to know more or not, and they don't want to accept that reality. And I think it's because we tie knowledge to truth, what we believe to be true. Ooh, I agree with that. I think that's very poignant. Here's a great example. Pluto. We were taught right? That it was a planet. And then one day, science figured out or something changed within that realm to say, actually, it's not. It's still knowledge, but it's truth that changed. And then they changed it again. Right? So it's like, we can't just (laughs) see it as being this, uh, I don't want to say a bell curve, but we can't see it as just being this, it's readily inclining. I think it's very much fluctuating. Because there is still so much that we do not know as humans. The oceans. How much of our oceans have been untouched by humanity? Like, we, they're just, they're creatures that we don't even know about. Outer space. We just are constantly learning. So it's really hard to pinpoint and be precise in regards to what is humanity's capabilities of learning because there's so much happening at once. So we can take bits at a time, but we discern that to be true or not, truth or untruth. Yeah. Like, I think that's a very scientific way to approach everything, honestly. 
Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's interesting that you brought up the knowledge is probably infinite, but like the amount that we can handle is not like the jury seems to be out on how much capacity, quote unquote, the human brain has like somewhere in the realm of two and a half gigabytes to 10 terabytes or like a hundred. But like, we don't know because we don't Mm -hmm. live in Black Mirror and have not uploaded our brains or like vice versa. So like hard to tell. But what you made me think of as you were talking is the the process called pruning. Do you know about pruning? Mm, mm-hmm. Steven, you know about pruning? Uh, please tell me about it. Uh, well, I'm going to wrap it around back to Ravel, which we haven't really talked about the metaphor of Ravel and using it to describe not just pulling on a thread and seeing where it leads, but also like snipping some ends off, like some frayed ends. Like every now and again, we've like made a mention of it. But that metaphor is really similar to what happens in the brain. So, oh, I'm, I'm going to butcher this. Of course, every time I like try to bring up something that I've like learned in college, I just like, it's been so long. And ironically, I just don't remember everything. Because um, you're talking about like synaptic pruning, right? Yes, synaptic okay. pruning. Mm-hmm. That's the name of it. Thank you. Uh, it welcome. is very ironic that this has to do with memory. But it's basically like the process right by which the brain like makes space for new memories to form. So it's basically like, Use it or lose it. But that's actually very scientific in the brain. So like if you're not like actively playing guitar, your brain eventually is going to be like, well, we probably don't need to remember those chords. Cut that out. Like that's not functioning anymore. Or we'll like store that for later. Like we're going to like make that kind of latent. And of course, like there's always more to learn about memory and like why things happen and like can memories be retrieved or revived and like Alzheimer's is like a, a huge thing of research right now. But what is pretty well established is that we go through like a really big pruning stage, especially like in our early years. And that's often why people don't remember certain things about their childhood. It's not always due to trauma. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. just due to like memory pruning and your brain deciding we don't need to remember that. That's not important. I would say the same is true and not just should be true, but is true of theology. I think that like we mm. all have this like scientific lens when it comes to theology, whether we like it or not, like both to your and Alex's point. Emily about like science and knowledge. I think that like we are constantly theologically pruning and like, not only is that a very biblical metaphor. I mean, obviously they're both like mentioning, like they're both referring to pruning plants, but I think that that shows how evergreen of a metaphor it is. (laughs) Like you do have to like clip away the frayed ends to make room for new growth. Like that's just real. That's how learning works. And I think it's very apt. That is the epitome of life giving right there yes 100 percent. and like everybody should be on board with that like in my mind it's like so clear that everybody does that like from the calvinist to the deconstructor to the person in faith crisis everybody's doing that whether we like it or not yeah we just want to say how honored we are that you listen to ravel seriously there's a lot of great shows out there and we're grateful to be in your feed Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. 
For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. So what are our limits to knowledge? The first one that came up when Emily was talking about the oceans was access, mm-hmm. literal access to measure or to observe, right? What else would we consider a limit to our knowledge? I don't know if this would be the best way to phrase it, but ourselves, and I mean, mm. Like our willingness to learn. Oh, like bias. Mm-hmm. Going back to Alex, this is kind of a point we've made tons of times, but going back to Alex's point about God of the gaps, I think that like for every God of the gaps fallacy, there is an equal non-fallacy where I think it is very humble to admit you can't understand God. Like if you're going to believe that God exists, mm. you should be accepting of that fact, I think. And I think that you can use that in a way that doesn't like fall prey to God of the gaps, like in a way that Emily uses it. Who told us we can't understand God? Wait, is that a question or or are you quoting Genesis? I'm actually asking like (laughs) who says we can't understand God? I mean, I think it logically follows. Like, I think that there are plenty of people out there who will say, no, everyone's overcomplicating things. God is simple and meant to be understood and have a relationship with you. But like, and maybe this is more of a process thought, but like going back to Emily's point about human beings and like we are dynamic people, like if we are made in God's image somehow, then like why would you expect God to be less complicated than humans and like more knowable Mm. than humans? That doesn't make sense. I don't think. Also, it's by whose standard are we saying we understand God? Because I could say I understand God fully Mm. and you wouldn't agree with me. (laughs) Like we are always going to find something to disagree on in regards to the nature of God. Because as humans, we cannot agree fully on anything. Even the concept of love and peace, we struggle with that. We would love to, but we struggle with that. So is all of that because we are bumping up against the limits of like access? We can't like see, touch, and hear this being? Or is it bias where we're not willing to hear new things? Or what like, if it's both? It could what be both. What if it's both and it fluctuates? Yeah, absolutely. Here's Here's one that it just crystallized in my mind is like, this is one of those things where I feel like, I clearly see things differently now. And when we say, if we're created in the image of God, then why would we assume that God is like more simple than a human being who we recognize as complex? And we also have this felt sense of like, because I can't definitively prove your consciousness or your experience of your life, then you are unknowable in a way. But the human project is to be in relationship and to like, figure each other out right like that's that's part of the challenge of marriage is like 100 percent seems like a limit that we will not reach i will not 100 percent know dixie ever but that's because she's in flux and she's changing and in process of becoming but that 
to me instead like that feels a lot more secure for me to rest in the fact that we're doing that to god because we're anthropomorphizing that and we are setting up god as a mirror of the way we've acknowledged human relationships work and because we we sense a limit with our relationship with another human being we say it must be so with god or creator or origin but what gets tricky uh, like for me recently is when we're when people will say universe instead of god because when we say universe i can talk to an astronomer and they can say many measurable observable things about universe right but we do not have such tools for god i would argue that the tools that we do work to encounter god or to observe god if you will that doesn't feel like scientific method to me that feels like philosophy which is like a different mode of work but even that is based in you know what alex was alluding alluding to of like reason and logic we should be able to talk our way into things mm-hmm. which is what many people do with trinity but eventually they run up into a limit and maybe it's because of access or maybe it's because of bias where they say, I don't know, I'm not God. I just have to accept it. I think it's really normal to update the way you think about things. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think that should just be more normal. Like I think that whether we're talking about the scientific or the theological, I think that there's a lot of people that have this conception that like things are set in stone and, there, and there's no getting around that. And like, just like looking back on science, for instance, like it's so obvious that we have updated our science <laughs> mm-hmm. and like Pluto, great example. And even though like those things were like because of human constraints and definitions, it was also like categories. Yeah. But it was also like a learning curve, right? Like we thought it met our definitions and then we realized yeah. it did not. It's, it's something else. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, I think that we see that trajectory in the Bible. Um, Pete Enns has a lot of great work on that. I'm not going to rehash all of his thoughts on like how the Jews moved from like polytheism to monotheism to mm-hmm. everything along the way to like the ideas of the Messiah. Like that's obviously like a super long, intricate religious history, but like I think it's all there. And I think that Christians for some reason don't like to talk about that. The people in the Bible may have had different ideas about God than we do today, but I think that's super fascinating. Yeah. Maybe to Alex's point, what do you think it means in the story of Jewish Christian history? What does it mean to say that our first sin as humanity was eating from the tree of knowledge? Like, what does that symbolize or signify or? Well, my initial reaction is we think we know more than God by disobeying God. You're using kind of like parent-child metaphor Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Like Thea think she knows better than you. If I tell her, you know, here using Thea, great example. We have one of those stepped ladders that has a railing around it. So she is safe to climb up and then she can observe from the top of the step and the railing, you know, supports her. She is very adventurous and loves to climb. And so she will try to sit on the edge of that guardrail and hold on to the sides and we'll tell her, don't do that. You're going to fall and you're going to hurt yourself. And we don't want you to get an owie. You know, we're, we're trying to guide her to keep her safe, to have her learn and reflect on action. And she will either sit on it and nothing happens. So then she will keep doing it. She will not do it. 
and never will have to learn the consequence of what happens if you don't listen or she'll keep doing it and she'll fall. And then she learns the hard way. Oh, mommy and daddy were right. I think it's the same principle of I know better, like I know more than what they think they know. Thea is at that age where she is very independent and she is gaining her sense of independence and awareness of her independence. And so when she sits on that guardrail and she feels like she's going to be fine, it doesn't matter. She doesn't see it as doing anything wrong necessarily. She's testing her limits because that's what children do. And it it will be unfortunate if she does fall. And then she starts to cry and then she's wondering, well, why didn't mommy and daddy save me? Why didn't they protect me? You know, there's just a lot of things that children can learn in these instances, but like I can't pinpoint exactly what's going to happen. And I think the same can be said for this story of God told Adam and Eve, hey, don't, don't, don't do that. Okay. Like, I love you. Don't do that. And we then through them learned the natural consequences of that. And the outcome could have been anything just because what was written is women have to face horrible, exchangeous labor and men have to toil the earth forever. That may have not been the outcome. That was what we are told, but it could have been a number of things. We really don't know. And that's if we find it to be, if we find it literally to be fact. Mm. So I think it's when we feel that we are more knowledgeable or can only hold so much knowledge more than someone else. I think that is what I see that to be a sin, like a a thing that separates us is because it's pride because it's pride. But also it's just it's an intention of saying I am greater than you. And Mm. because, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling now. Josh, what do you think Genesis three is about? I don't have scholarship to back this up. I'm sure that somebody out there would agree with this, but I don't think that Genesis 3 is trying to say that eating from the tree of knowledge was sinful. I think that if we're going to view Genesis as a poetic mythos structure that the Jewish people were telling in contrast to other creation myths at the time, it's a very different tale of wrongdoing than like the other ones were telling in terms of like killing someone or sexually assaulting someone or uh, like, like these really violent stories that are found in other creation myths. And I think it's really easy to see a more gentle interpretation of the garden, which by the way, this is like side tangent, but like the whole interpretation about the snake being Satan or a fallen angel, that's like so ad hoc of an interpretation that we just like accept it because it's like such a common interpretation. But like, I think it's very arguable that the original readers would not have seen it that way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really easy as modern readers to like read it as like temptation and wrongdoing. But I think it's like such an easy interpretation as well to say that it's referring to like human development and growth. Like sometimes you are compelled to do things and it is often by being compelled to do things that there are consequences from your actions, good or bad or not. And I think that the story that we see in Genesis is trying to center all of that around knowledge and that like we're always searching for knowledge. And by proxy of knowledge, I think we're always searching for the divine and something bigger than ourselves. And I think that the, the response that we see in the story of God 
for lack of a better word, expelling the humans from the Garden of Paradise, it feels very parental. <laughs> like it like feels like such a clear parallel to me that I'm like, I'm so surprised that like that's not talked about more, especially since like God as a parent figure is so often found in so much of scripture, like prodigal son, mm-hmm. great example. Like, of course, we love to talk about God as the parent in that story. But wow, I'm just going to soapbox here for a second. Don't mind me. But like, why do we not see the parallels in adolescence turning into adulthood in the Genesis story, either like on an individual level or in a communal Amen. level? It To me, it's like very clearly there versus like the the sin metaphor and the devil tempting you against God. Like, that's a very theological reading that maybe you can make an argument for, but I don't think it's inherent in the text. So long story short, I think there's many ways to interpret the eating from the tree of knowledge story. Emily, what's your take on that? I've never said any of that out loud before. (laughs) No, I mean, like what I basically kind of what you and I said match in a way. Do you think we could achieve the same parental vibes if we were only talking about basically like generations of humanity rather than God to human Mm. interaction? What do you mean? Like, can you? Can you clarify? Uh, well, well, I guess I'm asking uh, permission to play in the space from you two to mm-hmm. say, what if it's not God? And what if, you know, what if the conflict we see in Genesis three of like, you know, who told you you were naked? Right. And now we're we're standing ashamed before God. What if that actually represents basically a, a relationship with a different kind of human or like the ancestral human that was hunter-gatherer, not agrarian. Mm-hmm. There's a fantastic book I love to recommend whenever I can. It's by Daniel Quinn. It's called Ishmael. Fantastic little premise of a gorilla that can speak telepathically, and he gains students by posting in the newspaper. And then the rest of the novel is basically the Socratic method of learning, as Daniel Quinn has stuff to say about human history and philosophy. And it's very cool. But one of the one of the main takeaways that I'm leading us to here for me is the idea that it was sinful to basically at least have a sense of hubris or pride to say, hey, you know, those things that those things we call gods are usually here to provide us, you know, like, you know how weather patterns used to be how we thought the gods were angry because lightning was coming down from the heavens at us or how they would withhold rain because they were angry at us and we'd go through drought and we would lose our food in our agrarian system or even in like a savanna situation, right? This would be even pre-agrarian. But like we once thought that was the gods saying, hey, we're angry at you. We're going to throw lightning at you or here's a tornado. Please deal. But then we found a different explanation and it didn't have to be linked to a God or like even like a demon set up against the Christian God or anything. It's just like, no hot air does this and different pressure systems do this. And that's why we have these. So as we find different examples or like different examples of basically where we took from the domain of gods, something that we could both understand through knowledge and to a degree control it has a real like Prometheus vibe minus the Greek God Prometheus of like the reason we have that story is Prometheus took fire from the gods and gave it to human and he was punished for it. 
except what we're seeing in the book of Ishmael. And what I'm saying now is like, maybe just humans took fire for ourselves and we realized it was never God to begin with. So the sin of knowledge is just the ever encroaching. And I almost want to frame it in a positive way. I don't want to say encroaching in a negative way, but like this ever expanding mode of humanity operating in the world of like, Oh, do you think we could go to the moon? I bet we could go to the moon. And then we did it. You know what I mean? It's like, what can't we do if we actually put our knowledge to the test and collect ourselves? Just like you were saying, Emily, we have individuals coming up against knowledge, taking it upon themselves to test different theories, um, to check out different hypotheses and to like design our base of knowledge based on that observation enough individuals do that and get together then we have a trinity test then we have an atomic bomb right and that you know and then we take the power of the atom from the gods too so the story of genesis 3 right the women will experience increased pain in childbirth that's because what we first did was we took the power of the gods that used to provide foods for us because we were hunter gatherers and we would just go where the gods grew the food and we said, I bet we could probably do this ourselves and grow enough to have some for later. And the more you have to do that, the more you have to build society around how to defend that food, how to store that food appropriately so it doesn't go bad. And the more you have to do that, the more you exercise this organ we have that is the brain. And the brain gets bigger and it has to get bigger faster. So the increased pain in childbirth is basically an arms race of like this brain is growing way too fast inside the fetus and that skull is growing along with it. So women will just naturally experience greater pain because our heads are so much bigger, because our brains are so much bigger, because we designed agriculture and we took from the gods the power to make our own food. And now we do that now. And now we have cars and now we have spaceships, right? And like all of these things, I don't know. It feels like a, almost in like a, a cheeky way, I kind of feel like legitimately being even though Josh, you appropriately said it's kind of ad hoc or a misnomer to label the serpent as the devil. But like, I'm, I kind of almost want to be the devil's advocate in this moment and be like, yeah, I mean, like (laughs) he was the one who inspired us to do more than forgive me for saying it, but just like chilling on the garden and enjoying it. I don't know. I like, it's almost an inspiring tale to me now. And it's just because we call it sin, because we think it's about God and not about humans and our relationship with our past ancestors that we think we should feel guilty about it. Well, I'm going to kind of push a little bit. Do it. Bring it, please. I've been monologuing too now. We do not know what the outcome would have been if we did not eat of the fruit. Hmm. Almost like when you start pulling on the thread, you don't know where it's going to lead. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That's what I'm hearing you say. (laughs) Or we can recognize, even in this mythological story, that we went down one path in a forked road and we have no idea where the other fork ever went. Yeah. Like for all we know, God would have shared that knowledge with us if we were selfish and if we just listened. <laughs> like we don't know. And I think the same can be said for obtaining knowledge. It starts with intention and we limit ourselves. It's tied I think a lot to our heart and I'm not talking about like scientific knowledge. I'm talking about just the 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 wanting and the yearning to learn 
more, whatever that is. It's when we have our heart set and it's we're going to do it this way, this is how it's going to be achieved. We are limiting ourselves to the possibilities of other ways to obtain it or other ways to achieve it with other people. And I think that's what makes theology so great is because there is no one way. There truly is an infinite number of ways to gain knowledge about God. And how you express and understand God should be different from mine because God is God, <laughs> the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I, there's no way that I can fully understand the beginning and the end because I am a liminal being in this grand scheme of things. And for a lot of the stories that we find in the Bible, we like the outcomes could have been different. Think about if Pharaoh didn't have all the firstborn children, like all the, the eldest sons killed. How would that shape the story of Moses? We don't fucking know. Like, <laughs> we just have the story that's given to us. That's our limitation as humans. That It's just the reality that we face. I'm going to agree with the Calvinists on this one, that I think that us eating from the tree and then getting booted was inevitable. But not in a like, oh, not in a like mm. Adam and Eve were meant to do that sense, but in a like, this is describing human growth sense. Like this, this is a mythic structure that they were telling about like what it means to be human. And I think this is primarily getting at growth and development. So I will side with the Calvinists on this one. It was meant to be. Do you remember that song, Stephen, from one of the assemblies at our school if it is to be it is up to me <laughs> no what you don't remember that like, wait, oh, at like a pep rally is that what you're saying or it was like at a it was like at an assembly in the auditorium i don't even remember what it was for but i just remember that awful chant if it is to be it is up to me hmm. Hmm. cringe cringe <laughs> cringe because of just like high school vibes of like seize the day carpe diem or do you not like the philosophy of that because that is very existential it is very existential i think it is also very it can feed into that selfishness mm. like if it is to be it is solely up to me i dictate and determine and i think we apply that to then say well if it's to be it's going to be up to me and only me and no one else can have a say mm. You want to move toward it's up to us. Or at least use me not selfishly and imposing it on others. <laughs> I kind of wonder, uh, I, I guess this is just an argument for community and society in general, because I think there's actually a place for the people in our world who are like, no, this won't exist if I don't do it and I have to do it and no one can stop me and no one else could do this and we need people who say like no we're in this together and we're doing it together kind of thing it's like a i don't know maybe an argument for the hero in, in a sense of like no we're but gonna it's that mindset of you're setting others before you i'm talking about when they are just being selfish mm. and they're dictating their own feelings onto others saying this is the only way it's going to be 
I don't give okay. a shit how you feel. Oh, it, uh, so you're 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 saying like embodied in the true selfishness, the CEO of the oil corporation that's poisoning the ocean. Yeah, that's <laughs> think of think of the Lorax, right? When the guy in the tie is like, mm. "Let it die, let it die. I don't care. Yeah, let it die." Like that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. Which brings us back to motivation. A couple years ago, when I was hosting uh, a group. We termed beer philosophy because we just drank beer and talked philosophy in public, and it was great. Um, very similar vibe to this, but more public. I would say, like more, it's easier to invite more than three people to something that's not a podcast. Um, but all of that to say is, we ran it on very few rules, and one of those rules was, if we come back to the question of what is truth, we just drink. Mm. That's the equivalent of I don't know. <laughs> I'm not God. <laughs> <laughs> because honestly i don't think it's that interesting of a question or like like i think that like how do you discover truth or like how do we test truth i think those can be like fun and like very like non-abstract questions but as soon as you just get to like trying to define like well what is truth though <laughs> you're just gonna go around in circles yeah, yeah. like do yeah. we really want to rehash the objectivity subjectivity no no observer conversation no. no it's like the communications professor or the english teacher who has heard way too many papers <laughs> on abortion and the death penalty and is like no yes. more no no, no, no more. more please no more <laughs> um well speaking of no more emily how do you want to end this episode whoa what a close <laughs> um emily you have quite the benediction to wrap all this together if listen i'm sure some of us said things that you don't agree with you could do what alex did and hop on the literal phone and call us at 601-55-RAVEL, which is 601-557-2835. Leave us a voicemail. Give us some pushback. Prompt an episode that goes in as many different directions as this one does. Please. We love doing these listener-inspired and submitted topics. It's just great to hear other voices on this, in this area. We love it. And uh, to throw a little bit of uh, shame into the mixture, just from oh, Genesis oh. 3, if you don't mind, uh, we do give preference to our patrons for those questions. So if you are one of our patrons, you always get first pick around us. So just throwing that out there. Emily, over to you. This message, this pondering that our dear friend Alex sparked within us is entirely the point of this very podcast. And should be the thing that ignites us to want to know more, to explore more, to engage in conversation more. Knowledge is endless. And I don't get to dictate solely theology. That, that is not a Pastor Emily Reverend Reading House thing. It is an everyone thing. So we are begging all of you who are listening, who are first-time listeners, long-time listeners... If you're discerning or doubting wherever you are, join us for this very thing and let's see where it takes us. <laughs> <laughs>